Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl Jaycox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy at 40 Strategy. We provide strategic planning consulting to help organizations realize and achieve their dreams. Dave, basically, we help companies create strategic plans and measure the right KPIs for success. Unfortunately, most organizations only spend about 2% of their time or about 40 hours a year building an effective strategy. And Dave, I don't know about you, but that's pretty crazy, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought it would be a lot, a lot different than that. But yeah, 100%. It's, it's nuts. And, and so at 40 Strategy, your success is our passion. That is why organizations call us to help. Not only do we come up with strategy, but we come up with proven practices to actually get things done. Harvard research shows that when you get the right KPIs, you can actually triple your success. And who would want that, Dave? Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. 100%. Sign me up. That's right. So email us today at catch at 40strategy.com or visit our website at 40strategy.com. And with that, I before we go to that, I want to do a little shout out to Jeremy Wise. Jeremy Wise, he actually, he's a podcast guru. He actually connected the both of us. And um, I just want to thank him for that. And he's a partner at Rise25. And I just want to appreciate him for connecting us today. So our guest here is Dave Berlin. And he is a Marine Corps veteran entrepreneur speaker, podcast host of the Dave Means Business podcast. And he has, he's been a TEDx speaker, a consultant, and you have over 10 years experience in sales and you serves as a sales director for the largest entertainment company, private entertainment company in the United States. You are a certified sales and leadership coach uh, for extraordinary leaders expanding into 17 different industries, which is quite amazing. On a volunteer basis, you are a city leader in Las Vegas for Bunker Labs, a veteran organization to inspire, equip, and connect veterans and their spouses with resources to start and grow businesses. And more importantly than that, you're a DJ with a eclectic collection of boom boxes. Uh, for, as you can see in his background there, for those who are watching on YouTube, um, from different areas and a passion uh, for the movie Roadhouse. So Dave, hey, it's so great to have you on today. Carl J. Cox, thank you so much for having me on, man. This is exciting. I'm stoked. This is exciting. And once again, I appreciate the reciprocation. We had a really fun podcast on your show uh, on the Dave Mead Business Podcast. So uh, I appreciate um, driving it back. And, and so uh, first question um, that we want to talk about is, is our connection as DJs. And, and this is probably what not people expected heading into this, uh, Dave, <laughs> is that you're a DJ and Carl Cox is a DJ. <laughs> Um, he is one of the most famous DJs. He's the granddaddy, you could argue, of DJs based out of London. And um, if you check out carlcox.com, you'll see I'm nothing like him. And matter of <laughs> fact, Dave was like going, are you the Carl Cox? And so if you're wondering why I have the J in between Carl Cox, it's not because I'm trying to be really cool. It's because if you go to carlcox.com, you will find out that I'm a DJ and I'm really not. So, so Dave, um, how in the heck? Did you get into being coming a DJ? Yeah. So first off, I got to tell you, I can, I remember the other day when we had this conversation, I was like, 
I meant to ask you about that, but it's funny because uh, if you ever interview anybody else on your show that, that knows who Carl Cox is, please introduce me because I know exactly who he is. I can even tell you the first time I saw him, it was on September 29th, 1999. Wow. I just say, I remember random things like that, but it was in Oklahoma city uh, and he's from Europe. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I've always had a passion for music to answer your question. Uh, always had a passion for music uh, way before I went to the military. For those of you that are watching on YouTube, the boombox that's up on top of my shelf was the first boombox that I purchased uh, in my adult life. I carried it around forever. I've always been uh, that person that wanted to set the mood, right? I, I could always uh, just set my boombox down and start playing music. When I was in the military, it was up on the well deck whenever we would have like uh, uh, steel beach parties and cook barbecue and have like one beer, like somewhere out in the middle of the ocean. My boombox was there, you know, providing the soundtrack. So I always loved setting the vibe. I always loved that energy. And it was much later in life. Uh, I was I was just about to turn 30 years old. Uh, so it was in 2010. Somebody introduced me to somebody that owned a wedding DJ business in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they said, man, you should meet this guy. I went and I got hooked. And I, it wasn't just that I was going to get to play music and have a blast and, and make money. But it was something about the business opportunity and seeing this whole business culture in a room full of people that were, you know, they had the, the, the sales floor where they were like talking to brides and just having all this fun. I was like, I definitely want to be a part of this. So that's where I, I became a wedding DJ. And I took that uh, right, right there about the same time I turned 30. And here I am 40. So 10 years later, I'm still DJing weddings. I've DJed about 425 weddings wow. and private events all over the Midwest, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Kansas City, Vegas, all over. Okay, so I, this is an unplanned question. I had to ask, it just came to mind. Wedding crashers, is there such a thing and have you seen it ever before at a wedding? Yeah, I have seen it and it not nearly as crazy as they make it out to be in the movie, but that movie is de definitely based on some truth. But I'm just going to leave it at this. And I'll tell you, uh, do I have some crazy stories? I do, but probably not as crazy as the not one, but two weddings that I've actually DJed without a bride and groom. And that, uh, that's it. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm just going to leave it like, let it be a mystery. We'll do the we'll do the uh, the screw tape letters somewhere in the background where, you know, it'll just be a little secret file. Okay, that is another conversation, Dave. I'm going to have to follow up and learn, <laughs> learn about that one. So tell me a little bit more. What, what is Dave, Dave Means Business about your company? What, what do you do? Yeah, so for me, it's, it's really, I love watching things scale, right? And I've always been fascinated by things that scale. And I think it came from the challenges to, to help grow that DJ business in Tulsa, Oklahoma, into multiple cities. All I knew was what I'd learned. And I learned things at a global visionary level from being in the military. Uh, from an operational background after the military, I was a drill instructor for at-risk youth. Uh, that was a seven-year uh, seven title for me. And when I was able to see how to do that in business, and when I first started to see sort of change management come to life and let the, the light bulb turn on for people, we'd get a solid plan together, execute it and bring it, bring it full circle. Uh, that's what, what I've always been fascinated by. So the whole idea of Dave means business is taking what I believe is the three core elements to help an organization of any size scale. 
for what they can. Uh, we talk a lot about company culture. Uh, that's your core values, mission statement, vision statement, all the big, warm, fuzzy stuff, which I love. I really do. All that stuff matters. But also, I'm not afraid to roll my sleeves up and really get some uh, strategic planning going, some sales and marketing initiatives that work and that move the needle. And I'm not afraid to jump on the phone and just show people how to do it. So, so that's a, another major part of the engine. And then the magic comes with leadership. And if we have strong leadership development in place, that's where you can truly step back and let the organization uh, run without you, right? So trying to teach people how to get to any one of those levels of what scale looks like for them, that's really what the essence of, of Dave Means Business is. And it was, you know, a funny, I stole that. Somebody had a, a Gmail that was jeffmeansbusiness at gmail.com. And I kind of like that. And I was like, hmm, I'm just going to go with davemeansbusiness.com. Uh, nice. And it's, it's kind of stuck ever since. That's awesome. It, it, it's interesting how you bring up that, that concept of those three uh, key areas. Um, often I'll say just from practical strategy or not, you have to have your people, you have to have your process, and you have to have your systems aligned. <laughs> and if you don't, something's going to break, right? Especially when you're scaling. If you don't have those things driven down to the right area, um, something's going to completely go awry. So I appreciate now one of the things you're working on, and I think it's so important, especially as here we are, uh, February 2021, a year into COVID world, right? Where things have been locked down and, and uh, trade shows are more or less non-existent. The ability to get out and speak is very, very difficult. It's been this virtual stuff that you and I are doing right now. You had this hashtag, why networking? Tell me about what that is and, and, and what are you trying to accomplish there? Yeah, hashtag why networking has been the underlying, if, if I had to call it anything, it's kind of like my own thesis, right? Where I love all these influencers and I'm grateful to get to know them and work with so many of them, right? So um, I love having these people in my life, right? I've got to work with some of the top leaders and not just like have them sign my book, but like I've worked on projects with some of these people and I've always caught myself talking about their stuff. I get really fascinated by their stuff, but always under the surface, it's been like, how do I apply that to something that I care about? And as if you look at just the titles in my life that have changed from Marine to drill instructor for at-risk youth to wedding DJ, right. To speaker, you know, and, and to entrepreneur and consultant, like, all of those come with a whole set of relationships. And at any time I can bring all of those relationships full circle and I can sort of pull the Avengers from my life and work on anything. And we're going to, we're going to have a blast. That's awesome. So, so uh, through, oh, go ahead, yeah, keep going. I was going to say okay. through that whole thing, it's been this superpower to build relationships, but I always found where a lot of people were frustrated with it. And networking is a waste of time and all these things. So it's really just been this um, research and discovery to find out what is it that makes networking such a challenge for people? What is it that people are frustrated with? And is there a better way? Right. For me, I get pissed every time I go to a networking event. People stab me with the business card, interrupt me, ask me what I do, don't care, keep looking at their watch and then wait for me to say, what do you do? And then they just try to sell me. Right. It's frustrating. But I can't, I, I used to get really mad. And then I'm like, well, I can't get mad. They're just doing what they know, right? They're falling back to a process. And I've always looked for what is that process for, for networking. And it breaks my heart every time I hear about people who 
uh, are waiting on the sidelines for somebody to give them that permission to say, yes, your stuff is good enough to come be on our team when they could just have a really strong connection and somebody can unlock an opportunity for them, right? And then the problem that I'm just trying to solve is there is a better way. And, and the, the aha moment for me has been networking isn't prospecting. Networking yeah. isn't about getting another invoice or another lead. It's about unlocking opportunities in every person you meet. But because the only cycle or framework that we have is back to the sales cycle, we start trying to close people, whether we realize it or not. And mm -hmm. if you close people, you might close a sale, but you also might close a relationship. So for me, I'm just trying to teach people how to unlock more opportunities with every person they meet. That's so huge. Um, it is, I don't know about you, but even on LinkedIn, I get multiple, will you buy from me? And I don't even know who this person or company or organization is from around the world. You know, they could be, sometimes they're literally in the same hometown of where I'm from, or they're in Romania, right? You know, and I'll get these, um, can, will you buy my services from me? And I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> you know, there's this, there's this uh, lack of understanding. One, one of the best posts I saw a year ago, especially in the kind of the middle when, when COVID really started freezing everything across the country was just give value. Mm -hmm. You know, give value, be a friend, so to speak, you know, be, give something. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Zig Ziglar, you help enough other give people what they want, you eventually get what you want. And I think when we apply that to our networking, it just amazing things happen in return that you would never even dream of if you were trying to sell that person initially, right? It, it could be yeah. 10x what you originally thought, you know, and, and, but, um, that's the hard part is we think we have a solution and they're looking for something else. But the funny thing is we could solve that too, but we'll never get to it unless we have a connection, start developing trust and, and go to it. So anyways, I love, I love what you're doing there. I think it's so important because even, even if they said tomorrow, everything's going to be back to normal, it's going to take a while. You know, it's going to yeah. take a while for, for people to have confidence to come out in public. And even if they are in public, if they're wearing a mask, there's all that nonverbal communication we are getting, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just think there's going to be a challenge with that. And, and um, I think it's going to be amazing. On your website, you have this comment, you say, are you ready for change? What, what does that mean? Yeah, to me, there's, you know, change management has been, or change leadership, if you want to be, you know, creative about it. Uh, change is inevitable. And a lot of times people aren't ready for it. So I try to be a catalyst to help people embrace and drive change. You know, it's funny, just as I said that, I'm like, where did that come from? But I, I know, I know exactly where it, it's one of the core values at Zappos. And that's one mm -hmm. of the companies that I highly respect. I'm very passionate about their core values. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I know the book you're pulling, man. I got the same one. But, um, and by the way, you know, I'm, I'm still closely connected to that organization. I always say I'm Zaponian by marriage, even though we're divorced now. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I moved to the city because of that organization. And one of their core things was embrace and drive change. To me, because change is going to happen, I want people to be ready for it. And the best way is to start now. And it could be with any level of discomfort any level of discomfort that they have, are you ready for change? And if you are, we can introduce some new ideas and some new ways that you can 
embrace and drive it. Uh, and it could transform your organization. It could transform your community. Uh, it can, can tr transform our home forever. And, and that's where I just, I love starting the conversation with, you know, are you ready for change? Dave, um, the, the audience doesn't know your, your story. We don't have time today to go into the details behind it, but I'm going to share your YouTube video on, on LinkedIn of your um, video uh, to trying to get into becoming an employee of Zappos. Um, what an incredible, I, I, I laughed out loud multiple times when I was going through it. So I, I'll leave it at that for now, but it's it's an awesome video and I'll definitely post that. Um, well, the rule, the rule of thumb for those two years that we were on that pursuit, if you didn't laugh five times, then we can't be friends. I showed it to everybody we met. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I showed it to everybody we met for two and a half years. And if you don't laugh five times, we can't be friends. That is so awesome. And I, I laughed definitely more than five. It's, it's <laughs> laugh out loud, laugh out loud, funny. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to pop down to some of the personal stuff right now. You are a Marine and how, how did that prepare you for life? Man, that's a great question. It's something that I think about quite often. And, you know, I'll be honest, I joined the, the Marine Corps because I was at risk youth and I really just looked for, uh, I needed change. That's, I needed a change of environment. And one of the big lessons that I've learned through adversity, through challenge, through struggle is uh, if you want to change where, you know, change a result or something that's going on in your life, there's two things that you can ultimately change. Uh, well, there's actually three. And I learned this later. Attitude is one of them. You can always change your attitude. Uh, but there's two physical things. You can change where you work and you can change where you live. And going into the Marine Corps gave me the opportunity to do both. I was a high school dropout. They took very few GED people. And when I got recruited originally by the, by the Army, I called the Marines and I said, hey, the Army guys are trying to recruit me. I'd rather go that route. And of course, it's like a recruiter's like, best day, like a Marine Corps recruiter, like what, we're about to pull somebody from the army. And th when they told me that, uh, that they wouldn't take any high school dropouts, even though I had a GED, the guy hung up on me. So the first wow. thing that I learned was like, wow, this, this is nuts. So I just picked up the phone and called him right back and said, look, dude, like you come to the high schools trying to recruit us. Like I'm telling you that I'll leave tomorrow you know, I just don't want to be another army guy. And he made some phone calls and let's just say eight days later, I was on my first plane ride ever to boot camp. like wow. eight days. That's all I had to, I had, they were like, yeah, you'll get all this extra time to prepare. Dude, it was eight days. I was gone. So it prepared me to be flexible and to just roll with the punches. Uh, it, it prepared me to be uh, proud of something for the first time, but it also prepared me to, to get my ass handed to me. Sorry if that's and 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 just for the things that I didn't expect, and it also prepared me for uh, the inevitable change that that challenged so many of us um, in our generation. I was on my first deployment ever, like, and when I say first deployment, it was the first time we we left uh, and second port of call. We had already stopped in Hawaii. I was in Darwin, Australia, and it was my twenty first birthday. Because of the dateline, I can't remember. It was like right around the time. I just knew I was celebrating my 21st birthday because we were in Australia when 9-11 happened. 
And that was the biggest gut shot for the world at the time. And to Mm -hmm. be right there in the corner of all that, it's always prepared me for what's the worst that can happen. Like worse than you think, like everything is possible. How do we be prepared for that? How do we make sure that we're always working towards the same common thing to where when the worst does happen, we can work together and overcome it. So that's taken a, a, you know, gosh, that's been 20 years ago. I can't believe it's been, it's a 20, it's our 20 year anniversary of that, but 20 years of that's the best that I can boil it down to So it's always prepared me for, for that level of flexibility, um, inevitability and how to really prepare, um, not just in life, but prepare in business for, for change to happen outside of our control. So you work with startups in Bunker Labs. I think that's an amazing thing that you volunteer and you give your time to help out uh, veterans and their spouses get an opportunity to help grow their business. What an awesome calling, but an awesome opportunity. What, what is the most common thing, the most common problem you see with startups where it's something's not working and they need a, they need a, change something to to kick it off or to take it to the next level yeah um just a little context yeah so we work with we work with businesses uh veterans and their spouses uh we give them the tools and we provide some resources and help connect them to stuff that'll help them start and grow their businesses a lot of them come in with an idea a lot of them are already rolling a little bit and they're trying to refine that idea but normally in the in the early stages of business development and business growth I think the biggest challenge is clarity. And when I say clarity, it's crazy because so many times people overthink it, right? Mm. They try to make it too complicated. Like let, let the strategic planning people overthink it and take it way outside the box. Just figure out why you're trying to do what you're doing. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a biggest challenge that I see in the veteran space, maybe not, and this may happen a lot in the civilian side too, but a lot of people feel like they have to start a nonprofit and that's a whole other conversation, but I would just say, no, the world doesn't need another nonprofit. The world needs another for-profit so you can go help the nonprofits that are already struggling and dying. Uh, There's no room for, for competition in the nonprofit space. There's only room for collaboration. And, and I see a lot of people that at least in the veteran side, not all the time, but there is a big percentage of people that feel like, if I make any money doing this, I'm, it's not going to mean anything. And I don't know if that comes from, you know, being in the military and we got paid so much money to do the, the un, unforeseeable things that we do. But no, I think that that comes from, uh, you know, we just feel like if we're not suffering, it's not going to matter. Uh, and that's just not the case. Like we can help more people if we, if we're able to charge and, um, you know, I've got somebody now, somebody who's going through our cohort right now, he actually helps people start private family foundations inside of their for-profit companies as an alternative to going and starting a, a nonprofit. Um, so I think there's, there's obviously some misconception that people have, but also there's this, um, you know, I don't want it to be like a Cinderella goal that people have, like a, a soulmate, a soulmate business, like, oh, this is where I put the flagpole in the universe and this will be my business and will be my legacy. It probably won't be. It'll probably be your first business you're probably going to either shut it down or close it because of something that you can or can't control. Um, and hopefully that gives you the, the confidence 
uh, to create the next thing and probably the next thing. And almost nothing is forever anymore. Um, and I can only attest to that because, you know, I've done things for, you know, I was in the military for four years. I, I was a drill instructor for seven, a wedding DJ for 10, and I've been a consultant for the last five. Like, I couldn't imagine doing any one of those things at all for 40 years. So, yep. you know, and, and I always challenge people to say, like, do what you're good at while you still love it. And then if you need to change it, that's okay. Most people feel like it's this soulmate business. and you know, that'll, that can tear apart a family that can tear apart business. It can, it can do a, some serious damage. Uh, so to me, that's, I think that's the biggest thing that, that people get wrong with startups is that it's going to be, be forever. You had some huge nuggets in there through that element. I, I loved what you said there last. I also think the simplicity, the importance of really crystallizing what your purpose is as an organization and having a an arrow right that's direct and clear and you're and you're meeting what customers ultimately need to get things done um and then that other element i think what you were talking about whether an organization is for profit or not you're so right if we can create more value we can give more value to those who need it you know and and it, through money or time and other areas to expand throughout it so but so much of the time that's mindset Right. We get stuck in our own mindset beliefs that we can't do something or it has to be or not for profit or or uh, these different areas and, or I'm not good enough to make and be, quote unquote, rich. Right. And, and these are often mindsets. They're not real. These are these are things that hold us back from being more successful. So anyways, those are awesome insights. So I could ask my a couple of my key questions. My, I'll just ask the one question. I'm going to be very general with it. So how do you measure success? Man, I've thought about that a lot. And this, this conversation came up in, in a, a room I was talking in the other day. And I don't know, I, I'm going to go two edges on that. Like one, I think I can measure success here and now. And to me, it's by the, the number of people. Uh, honestly, measure, success for me is the, the number of people who would take my call. And when I say that, mm. like, um, I've, I've been in that boat before where I used to exhaust my network and I was always, I wasn't really selling something. A lot of times I was offering free events or trying to get people to come to all these things. And you, I could always feel whenever people didn't like, they're not going to answer, but it's literally like, if I could scroll through my phone right now and just hit dial on anybody, how many of those people would just answer the call and be excited to talk to me? And, and I know that's good. You know, that's that's one element because the the other hard part is, you know, there's there's one level of success that I won't be able to measure. And it's how many people uh, have something positive to say or or show up when I'm not here anymore. Oh, wow. Um, and that's that's a, that's a deep dive into mortality. I'm not trying to go there. It's just I got exposed at a really early age to the funeral business. Um, and I never would have known how much of an impact that would have on my life at 10 years old. But hmm. most of my adult life, I've spent frustrated because people don't seem to care. And I just care too much because I grew up around that. I know how precious life is. And I think, I think part of the legacy and speaking and, you know, sharing and helping and empower veterans and helping all these people, like, I just want to make sure that, that that's in place. So the legacy behind is, is what measures. 
That's uh, that is awesome, Dave. I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's a, it's a I appreciate how you talk about the now, but also about the legacy part, right? And and so that's um, I think that's I really appreciate your your pouring that. So we're gonna get to our you and I both have a passion for books, um, and I know you're kicking off a virtual book club for leaders. Why don't you tell us about that, and what book are you kicking off uh, with that with that with your first go at this? Yeah. And not so like it's your first one. I know you've done this before in the past. This yeah. is a virtual one. So let me clarify that. No, that's so it's been really good. Um, so just a little framework on the on the whole background of why these clubs. Um, one of the things that I've learned in these principles of why networking is that uh if if it's all about unlocking opportunities in every person that we meet, where do we go meet people? I came up with four areas where you can do this, and this is what led to the book clubs. One, you can go to events, virtual online, in person, whatever. You can be a member of things. You can be in a Facebook group. You can go to a workshop. You can show up at things. Like you can be an attendee. The second part is you can host events. I love hosting events. I hosted an event just a couple of weeks ago with Lee Cockrell, the guy that used to run Disney, right? I love just putting together groups of people and bringing them together and saying, hey, look at this thing, right? I love it in, in virtual, like live events. I love DJing and bringing people together. Uh, I just love events. Um, the third one is to go through a transformational or growth experience. This could be a retreat. It could be a summit. It could be a mastermind. However, people define that it could be a book club. It's something where you take part in something, you learn something and you go through a transformational experience at some level, uh, or you can create and host those things. And I wanted to be able to create those things as, uh, to give a place for people to go. And that's where the idea of the book clubs came together. I hosted several book clubs years ago, um, 2017, I did my first paid book club uh, and it was really just to hold some people accountable. So they showed up and they were working on what they were, they were trying to grow through, but we could talk about it amongst our peers, right? So there was no like selling. Now lives were changed because some of the people that sat at that table introduced people to other opportunities uh, where they got back into their passion and career and ran restaurants. I mean, there's all kinds of powerful things that wow. happen at those tables. Um, so I have a couple of different tables that are that are kind of happening and starting every month. Uh, one is just more of a book club. Um, and I'll play around with a few different books um, based on what people want to read. And some of the books may be books that people have read before. But I want to be able to do some of those books um, because they're easy to digest, but people can still work on their own thing. So um, and then I have a higher level mastermind group that's going to be for more executives and things of that nature. The books that I have picked out for that are either going to be like Creating Magic, the guy that, that used to run all the leadership at Disney, or it could be Principles by Ray Dalio. Uh, for some of the entry level book clubs, uh, you got one right there, Start. Mm -hmm. Start's always been mm -hmm. one of my favorite books to, to, to begin with, to start with, if you will. Actually, another one of John's book is great too. It's called Finish. It's all about um, you know, reaching your goals. It's not about starting things. It's about finishing things. And for people that are looking for some type of accountability, uh, that's a good one. And then one of my favorite books to, to start with, with any group is called you're a badass at making money. Mm, and yes. a lot of people know you're a badass and that's great, but you're a badass at making money was a very important book for me because money wasn't something we talked about in my, in my, uh, household. 
So that one's always been really powerful for me because I found it much later in life, like 2016, 2017. And it was one of the big breakthrough books for me. And it's one that everybody can resonate with because it's a conversation that we all have at some point. Um, so that's probably one of the books that uh, we'll start with on some of the, the basic level book clubs uh, in the Y Networking Network. I love it. I love it. Um, so we have been talking with uh, Dave Berlin from Dave Means Business. Dave, where, where is a good places that people can reach out and connect with you? Yeah. So um, I'm the only Dave Berlin on most social media platforms. So it's easy to find me in LinkedIn. Uh, pretty easy to find me on the social medias. I'm at Dave Berlin. And um, as far as more information on book clubs and stuff like that, you can go to davemeansbusiness.com slash mastermind uh, and learn more about uh, what I'm working on there and the, the network of um, people that I'm trying to bring together. That's fantastic. Dave, I really thank you so much for being on our podcast. And thank you to everyone else for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. With that, have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.